Is your money working as hard as it could be for your future? A decade ago, Robinhood changed the investment landscape when they pioneered commission-free stock trading. Today, they continue to offer innovative products to help users build a better financial future, like IRAs, ETFs, options for qualified traders, and much more. Take control of your financial future with Robinhood. Download the app or visit Robinhood.com to learn more. That's Robinhood.com. Disclosures. Investing involves risk. Other fees may apply. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIP. PC is a registered broker dealer. Good morning, Brew Daily Show. I'm Neil Fryman. And I'm Toby Howell. On today's pod, air passenger stress levels are through the roof ahead of the 4th of July travel weekend as cancellations have already caused airport havoc this week. And we'll discuss why you're going to hear a lot about cheap whiskey, dirt roads, and faded blue jeans on the radio this summer. Then Sheehan tried to put together a little influencer trip to one of their factories in China, and it did not go well. Plus, sharing is no longer caring in the cavernous aisles of Costco after the retailer decided to crack down on people going splitsies on their membership cards. Neil, it's Thursday, June 29th. Let's ride. All right, Neil, before we start the show, I want to tell you about a little experience I had last night. I had the Grimace Shake, which for our less online listeners, McDonald's is rolling out this big promotion for Grimace's birthday, Grimace being one of their characters they launched in the mid-70s. And to commemorate his birthday, they made this thing called the Grimace Shake. It's a monstrosity. It's kind of bluish, purplish. It's got like a berry vanilla flavor. And I can tell you what, I feel awful right now. Really? It was bad. It was it was so good that yeah. I drank the entire like extra large milkshake. And here's the thing. This is why McDonald's gets you. In order to get one Grimace shake, you have to get the entire Grimace meal. So oh, really? last night at like 9.30, I started pounding like chicken McNuggets and a large fry and drinking a whole Grimace shake. And I was like, I, I was not happy. With this is an amazing marketing campaign right, by it, them, right? It's dominating right now. It, yeah. All over social media, uh, you have these Gen Z people like yourself drinking the Grimace shake and then posting kind of horror movie <laughs> scenes after they drink the Grimace shake. Yeah, it's a crazy trend right now. And so, I mean, I guess I'm a I'm a victim of marketing because I wouldn't try it. Would you try it again? I, I'm not going to, I'm never going to put that in my body again. But <laughs> once they come out with like their next theme shake, I'll probably be right back in line. They're killing it. Uh, let's go to our first story. Uh, Toby, not only did you uh, drink the Grimace shake, but you are one of millions of Americans who are planning to fly this holiday weekend. I know you are nervous about making your flight yeah. and you probably should be. Thousands of U.S. flights have already been canceled since Saturday and tens of thousands more delayed in one of the worst stretches for air travel this year. This week, we both heard stories of friends stranded in cities uh, for multiple days and people camping out in airport terminals just hoping they'll be able to get to their destination in time. United Airlines in particular has taken it on the chin. It canceled 20% of its flights yesterday and has scrubbed more than 2,300 since Saturday. One source of the trouble is thunderstorms here on the East Coast that have disrupted flights at Newark, which is one of the major United hubs. But United CEO Scott Kirby isn't just blaming the weather. He's picked a fight with the FAA for a shortage of air traffic controllers that have fueled airline chaos. On Monday, he told staff that the FAA frankly failed us this weekend. Uh, they better not fail this upcoming weekend, which ahead of the 4th is expected to be the busiest for air travel this year and potentially even bigger than the same weekend pre-COVID in 2019. Honestly, I, 
could not think of a worse time for this to happen just from a personal perspective <laughs> and also just from everyone. Literally the busiest day in, in years. So it could not be happening at a worse time. But I feel for the FAA a little bit um, because it's just so understaffed. So 77% of critical facilities like air traffic control are staffed below the 85% threshold that the agency considers necessary in order to operate. And then you have the major ones in New York and Miami that are staffed at 54% yeah. and 66%. It's it's a huge risk to just flights going off and continuity in the air, airline industry. I know, but you feel bad for them, but maybe they should just change their hiring practices and get more people. It reminds me a lot of the IRS where there's so much attrition and people are leaving the profession and they're not getting enough people. But if you look into the requirements for what it takes to be an air traffic controller or a flight dispatcher or anything, you can't, you, know, you can't even apply in most cases once you're over 30 years old because of all the stringent training requirements. Yeah. And the aviation industry places safety above all else. So you have this blame game going on where the airlines are blaming the FAA. The FAA and, and uh, Pete Buttigieg, who's the transportation secretary, yeah. is saying, airlines, you got to get your stuff together. If you look at the actual data from the federal government, it seems like the airlines are by far the most responsible for right. delays and cancellations, whether they don't have enough flight attendants or people are in different cities. This is what happened with Southwest last <laughs> December when you had crews, you know, the pilot for an airline that needed to be in Phoenix was in Seattle. And then the, you know, the flight attendant crew was in Boston when they needed to be in Austin. <laughs> and that like, it's this crazy domino effect that happens right. in airlines where it's held up by this house of cards. And if one domino falls, I'm mixing my metaphors here, <laughs> but, then, but everything kind of collapses and then you get people waiting, you know, uh, sleeping at airports at 3 a.m. Yeah, this is my big takeaway is I can't believe this house of cards doesn't fall more often because you think about one little ripple effect and the effect it can have on everything. But then also I can see why this is making people extra mad. Not only is missing your flight just the worst thing in the world, but if you go back to the pandemic when airlines were really struggling, uh, $54 billion of taxpayer money was kind of funneled right. to these airlines to prop them up. And yet they're still understaffed. They laid off or they didn't lay off. They like furloughed a ton of an employees during the pandemic and they haven't really brought enough back to catch up to demand. So the airlines got the money to keep them afloat and then haven't prepared for a time when flight volume returns to normal. Right. So yeah, tons of horror stories. Like people are so, there's nothing that gets people as mad as like missing your flight. And I don't blame Not even missing your flight, having it canceled yeah. right before you get on. Um, and there's even another wrinkle happening <laughs> this weekend, which is that telecom companies are allowed to turn on their 5G C-band networks, which sounds pretty technical. But the point is that it might interfere with some plane uh navigation thing crazy so basically you won't some planes that aren't retrofitted with modern equipment may not be able to land in low visibility weather which is i feel like <laughs> all the kind of weather that we've had recently with yeah. and there's smoke coming in <laughs> so there's possible more disruptions that could happen starting on july 1st they say that thursday and friday today and tomorrow are going to be the busiest oh, days for air travel i think you're flying out tomorrow come on newark come on um, Allegiant. you got me i am a big av geek so i I want to just provide our listeners with some apps if they want to uh, track flights. Flight Radar 24 is the goat of all the industry. If you want to just like look at where planes are going.
going or see if your plane's coming to your airport, uh, definitely check Flight Radar 24. It's super fun just to play around with. And then if you want to see the broad um, view of cancellations and delays, go to flightaware.com. They have this th fun map. Not fun, but they have a map called the Misery <laughs> Index. Fun to you. The yeah. Misery Index, and it shows an uh, entire map of the U.S. and where delays are happening. Seems like New York is kind of the epicenter with all the yeah. thunderstorms we've been having. All right, Neil, bookmarking those now. All right, let's move on to the world of fashion, where a lot of people are very mad at a group of influencers who many feel have been used as propaganda by the Chinese fast fashion company Shein. Now, Shein is huge. It did $100 billion in sales in 2022, up from $10 billion in 2020, but it has a bit of an image problem. A lot of people think that Shein exemplifies the worst of the world of fast fashion. It's cheap clothing, bad environmental impact, and an exploited labor force. But Shein is, uh, is eyeing an IPO, so in an effort to clean up that image a little bit, they invited a bunch of fashion influencers out to visit one of their 6,000 factories in China. Here's a quote from one of the, one of the influencers. Honestly, everyone was just working like normal, sitting down. They weren't even sweating. <laughs> and, and everyone in her comments just absolutely ate her up saying, you're only seeing what they want you to see and that your integrity is worth, worth more than this trip is. And the backlash came in swift and fast, so much so that some of the creators were actually deleting some of these paid uh, posts in partnership with Shein. And Shein comes out looking worse from a consumer yeah. perspective than they went in. We've seen these influencer trips go awry, but this one seemed to really strike a nerve, Neil. Right, because what it was wasn't usually influencer trips, and I have to say I didn't know a lot about influencer trips before reading about this. It's you go and you try on the actual products. You're like, look at this shirt. You know, this is a cool shirt or this is cool pants or this is a cool product that I'm trying out. This was influencers like talking about the labor practices and the social culture of a company. Mm -hmm. And people were like, this is a very ambitious move by Sheen to clean up its image. And it completely backfired. I mean, I saw one TikTok uh, that satirized this trip. Yeah, it, it was an influencer saying that they went to the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory in New York, which infamously burned down <laughs> and killed, you know, over 140 people. And this influencer was parroting this Sheen trip was like, like, oh my God, the labor practices are so good here. Right. Everything's so clean. You can leave. And, yeah. uh, and that was kind of the vibe that uh, the backlash took. Yeah. And another layer too is like, this was a very carefully curated group of six content creators who they represented like a, an array of different body types and backgrounds. And so a lot of people were like, Shan is clearly just exploiting totally. like diverse influencers in order to advance like this narrative. And so that's another reason, like another layer to it, why people were just really seeing through like this ploy from Shein. Maybe we should talk about what the criticisms of Shein are. Their sustainability criticisms that, you know, most of their uh, most of their clothing just ends up in landfills, mm -hmm. which is a criticism that's been lobbed at the broader fast fashion industry. And then there, the big one here that the actually U.S. Congress is looking into is that they're using cotton from the Xinjiang province in uh, China, which uses forced labor by the Uyghur Muslim minority. And the U.S. has banned imports mm -hmm. from that region. And because of there's there's this particular loophole that if you ship uh, you know, a product to the U.S. that's below $800, it doesn't get checked by Customs and Border Protection. And most Shein hauls are <laughs> very cheap, like $3. Right. So they are not subject to that, and therefore they can kind of use 
sketchy materials and pl things from places that the U.S. has banned mm -hmm. to get in. And then when Bloomberg kind of tested the products, they took it into the lab. They were like, yep, this cotton is from Xinjiang province. And, you know, Xin is completely skirting the rules. So lawmakers from both sides of the aisle are trying to crack down on on this. Yeah, company. we'll definitely see how kind of this controversy uh, plays out in context of their impending IPO. They're there's no like set date for it or anything, but they want to IPO. Is it a U.S. IPO? They they were uh, looking at because Congress wants the SEC to look into it. So I do think it would right, happen right, right. in uh, in the U.S. But it's it was valued at one point at 100 billion dollars. So like this is a big big yes. company we're talking about. So it's it's crazy again the ripple effect of one influencer trip could uh, factor into a 100 billion dollar IPO. All right, Neil, let's move on. Everyone's favorite big box retail store, Costco, has been struggling a little bit this year with weak sales. So it's taking a page out of your local college bars playbook and IDing more customers. Yes, I said IDing. Costco has been suffering an epidemic of non-members using members' cards to shop at its stores. And Costco memberships are one of one. You're not allowed to borrow your mom's and cop some sweet deals on 54 tubes of toothpaste. I've tried. But that's exactly what shoppers have been doing, often sneaking away to the self-checkout aisle so they can get away with their dastardly impersonations. So now Costco has warned customers it will be more consistently asking for a photo ID as a croft cross-reference with the membership card. Neil, can you imagine stress shopping for a 12-gallon bin of peanut M&Ms? And the checkout clerk goes, yeah, yeah I'm going to need to see some ID here. Yeah, I mean, there have been all over Reddit, there have been people posting about seeing this crackdown in action. I mean, there's signage across stores now being like, only paid members are allowed to shop. Personally, I feel like, uh, you know, shopping at Costco is a little intimidating anyway. Yes. You have to flash your badge everywhere. And I'm just kind of like looking over my shoulder being like, I'm just shopping here. But, you know, somebody I feel like somebody's looking at me and you have to get your receipt signed and it's a very, you know, yeah. intimidating process. Well, it's also, everything is jumbo size too. You feel like you're, you're shopping in like the, the jumbo aisle, but it, it's kind of like the sub in other, uh, in other countries of the world, you don't necessarily have to pay for a subway ticket, but you have inspectors come along and it's kind of like spot checks oh, and that's kind of what they're doing at Costco too. So you're always looking over your it's, shoulder. Yeah. It's going to be nerve wracking. But the reason why Costco is so concerned with this is because their membership revenue is a big part of what allows Costco to exist at all. Yeah. So, so they made $4.4 billion in membership fees um, in the year ending last August. And that is what allows them to offer these big ticket items at really, really low prices because it is subsidized. So you can get this the wholesale prices uh, even though you're getting the full goods. So that's why they're. it's really a, a page out of Netflix's playbook, right. by the way. Let's talk about Netflix because a few weeks ago they started cracking down on password sharing. And it's been an incredible success. Yeah. I mean, the first couple of days that they cracked down on password sharing were their best for U.S. acquisition you know, ever. Or, or yeah, in, in, in a, in a, in a good long, long while. Yeah. That was hyperbole. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yes, it seemed to have worked at Netflix. And I think a bunch of other subscription services said we gave a lot of people uh, a free lunch for a long time. It's time mm -hmm. to crack down. Yeah. Literally in Costco's case, uh, a $1 and 50 cent hot dog. Well, you can get a free. It, have you gone on a Saturday? 
<laughs> you can get a free lunch. I mean, if you just walk around, do like three laps, oh, the, you're going to get chicken teriyaki. You're going to get a taquito. Now we're going to get. Now we're thinking. You're deal. just going to. Yeah. I, I, I used to fill up all the time on, let's on have a little, Costco on Saturday. Let's have a little Costco sample lunch date. But I need to get a membership first. I won't, I won't tell on you if you don't tell on me. All right, Neil, before we jump into the next story, we're going to take a quick break. Okay, Toby, first of all, just did a fact check. It is the best four days of Netflix U.S. acquisition ever. I, I should I, never doubt you. Do not doubt me. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't 100% sure when I said that, but it is true. All right, let's get to Neil's Numbers, which is our Thursday segment where I read a ton of news over the week, and I bring you the three most interesting facts that I read. Here we go. Um, are Airbnb's revenues plummeting? One analysis suggests that they are. In a tweet that went really viral, the CEO of Reventure Consulting posted a chart that showed that revenue per available Airbnb listing had plunged in certain cities. In Phoenix, they're down 47%. In Austin, 46%. In Asheville, North Carolina, a pandemic boomtown, they're down 43%. This suggests that struggling Airbnb hosts might have to sell their homes, which could cause shockwaves, not in the good way, to the broader housing market. There are about 1 million Airbnb or VRBO rentals on the market compared to 570,000 homes for sale. But others were skeptical of this Airbnb data, which came from analytics company All the Room. In one vacation town in Tennessee, the hometown of Del Dolly Parton, who we'll get to in a bit, uh, All the Room's data showed that Airbnb revenue dropped 48%. But the chief economist of another real estate data company called BS and said that Airbnb revenue in that city only dropped 9%. So he doesn't think there's a calamity going on. But still, if you take the midway point of these data sets, mm -hmm. it is not good for Airbnb and a sign that the COVID boom of everyone working remotely from a cabin in Montana for a month is maybe coming to an end. It's, it's really sad for a lot of people, too, who have that dream of owning an Airbnb, like yeah. renting it out, having that as their second stream of income or, yeah, a dual stream of income. And I, it's it's such like a TikTok mentality of like, why isn't, why aren't you buying an Airbnb and like, or a multifamily home and renting it out? So because times aren't always so good right. for Airbnb, and the company warned of a booking slowdown. But I think the reason it went so viral this data was because there's seems like a bit of a backlash to Airbnb has been jacking up their mm -hmm. prices, and you know you have to do all of this work to leave the house. Team hotels, baby. So so <laughs> hotels are kind of taking a little over mind share of Airbnb, and I think there's this pent up anger toward yeah. Airbnb. So people are, are looking at this with a little schadenfreude. Uh, our Neil number number two, <laughs> that was a mouthful, luxury watches. If, you're, if there are any luxury watch collectors listening to this pod, there is a Bed Bath & Beyond level sale going on right now. Prices for luxury, luxury Swiss watches on the secondary market have fallen to their lowest levels in almost two years and are down almost 20% over the last 12 months. Just like a bunch of other types of collectibles, prices of luxury watches soared to records in 2021 with limited supply and raging demand. But as interest rates shot up and recession talk heated up, prices have cooled by a lot. But this is the interesting part. There's one other factor driving prices of watches specifically lower, and that is the crypto wipeout. Newly minted crypto millionaires were major buyers of Rolexes during peak COVID. But now that crypto is in its winter era and investors aren't feeling as flush as they were, 
they're going with Casio's instead. And this is a real phenomenon. The online watch trading platform Chrono24 said that the crypto downturn has directly impacted pricing of luxury watches from brands like Rolex and Patek Philippe. It's so, again, butterfly effects. But also, I'm now thinking, what's the luxury item that you want to store your money in that appreciates? Because if watches aren't going up, and it's got to be Birkin bags, right? Birkin, Birkin bag. bags are undefeated as, as stores of value. Or some sort of grimace memorabilia. <laughs> Neil, I don't want to talk about it. I'm, I'm already saying. feeling bad. Um, okay, our third number. For everyone headed on a road trip this weekend, which is definitely a smart move given the state of air travel, expect country songs to be blasted into your ear holes. Morgan Wallen's Last Night and Luke Combs' cover of Fast Car are number one and number two on the Billboard Hot 100 list. This is the first time country songs have landed in the top two spots since 1981 when Dolly Parton was singing about the nine to five. The the country pop singularity has arrived. <laughs> I hear it all the time. I have a couple of friends who are big country music listeners, and I'm done pretending that I don't like it. These songs are good. Like they're a good vibe. Like if you if you're truly hating on country music at this point, like you're just being a hater. It's definitely country is just pop at this point yeah. with some country instrumentation, like a slide guitar or something. But if you listen to the melodies, it's very poppy. Yeah. There's a lot of hip hop elements that have been exploded by uh, Old Town Road in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, which really put, you know, put hip hop and country in the same boat together. So there's a lot of fusion going on. A lot of pop stars are touring right now, not putting out new music. Country is filling the void. I've liked country for a while, for so um, I'm happy. Um, let's move on. Uh, I want to talk about a particular headline that seems to pop up once every month and always spreads like wildfire. It goes something like, this European country will pay you to move to our breathtakingly beautiful town with rustic old world charm. Uh, sounds pretty great, huh? Most recently, it was Ireland, which is offering up to $92,000 in renovation reimbursements if you move to its gorgeous remote islands, one of which was featured in the movie The Banishees of Inishirin. Uh, other European countries have dangled similar incentives, particularly in some Sicilian towns, which are selling abandoned homes for a dollar. Why are they doing this? Well, young people are moving out of these rural villages, and the idea is that luring foreigners to move there through generous subsidies could help revive these towns. The question is, Toby, uh, is this too good to be true? Is this happening? Would you do this? I mean, it's too good to be true in some senses, but it's also doing pretty well in others. So we, we talked about Ireland. There's been more than 500 applications for that particular program. And then over 300 homes have been sold in that program in Italy. So it is working to the sense that it is driving people there. But a lot of people arrive or apply thinking that they'll handle everything, like yeah. they'll help with immigration, they'll help get you resettled. But in reality, it's a renovation budget. So right. there's just like a little bit of loss in translation here. And it's totally ex exacerbated by these headlines that you see that go viral because, yes, the companies are technically paying you. Or the countries. Yeah. yeah, the countries are technically paying you, but it's not like, here's $200,000, like come, yeah. come live here. And it's as simple as that. So imagine, I mean, deal, you know, working with contractors here is tough. I've heard a lot of headaches. Imagine going to a rural Sicilian village dealing with home renovation, which is already such a headache and so frustrating yeah. and a very high stress thing. And, you know, there's so much loss in translation. Right. You don't know the language. Uh, so this seems like a little tough 
But the problem is very acute. I mean, in this one Sicilian town that's doing this program, they have 40,000 homes, but only 10,000 residents. <laughs> right. I don't think that this foreign exchange thing that they're doing is a sustainable solution. It might, you know, get a, you know, provide a little uptick on the margin, but they need to do something just to keep their young people from leaving, like create more jobs. Yeah. All right, Neil, last question on this one. Would you move to uh, Sicily or would you move to Ireland? Oh, Sicily. You're a Sicily guy? Oh, my God. I thought you loved the, the band of cheese. You know, cheese. all I want to do when I retire is just like sit on a Mediterranean beach and eat tin fish and drink <laughs> wine and play okay. cards all day. Okay, okay. Like, that You're is right. all I want to do. All right, Neil, our final story is one that is very near and dear to me because it involves cramping on a soccer field. <laughs> <laughs> this week, a couple of videos of NWSL players getting stretched out by a trainer went viral. As they're getting stretched, the trainer hands them this little shot that looks like a five-hour energy bottle. But when they take it, they immediately start gagging and rolling around and making a face that looks like they just ate the last wings on hot ones. And they kind of did because the liquid they are drinking is called a hot shot and it's supposed to instantly get rid of cramps. All right, ready for a little science, Neil? Let's do it. Hot shot uses three primary active ingredients, cinnamon, ginger, and capsicum, which is that compound that makes hot peppers hot. And when you take the shot, the nerves in your mouth and throat get triggered, which makes your brain send calming signals to that area of your body. In doing so, it inhibits the nerves in your cramping muscles from overfiring, which can provide that instant relief from a cramp. I've never seen this before, Neil, but gosh dang it, I wish I had it during my playing days because that would really? be very clutch. D is it supposed to actually work? It's supposed to instantly relieve it. I mean, again, like this is a claim that's made by Hotshot, the company, yeah. but uh, the science in my head makes sense. So like, of course, if if it's just neurons overfiring in a muscle, that's what a cramping muscle is. It's just sending pain to a different part of your body, right? Right, but it's getting rid of that, of the over, the hyperactive neurons in, in your hamstring. Or I know, but looking at these players talked about it afterwards and they were like, I'm never doing that again <laughs> right. because it just tastes so disgusting. Yes. Here's the rule I want to institute. It's a big thing in soccer at the end of the game. Time wasting, you go down with a cramp in parentheses. Right. And if it is clear that someone is time wasting, they should have to take a hot I shot. Like and if you go down, it's got to go. The hot shot has to go down as well. I like that. The whole point of this is like when you stub your toe and it hurts, and then your brother comes up to you, is like, "Let me punch you <laughs> yeah, in the exactly. arm so that you forget about this your stub toe." Yeah. That's basically what hot shot is. Uh, but we will keep track of that. That is our show. Our, we have one more before the break. Let's Who's go. counting, though? I'm yeah. not. Um, thanks for listening and watching. Uh, if you want to get in contact with us, our email is morningbrewdaily at morningbrew.com. Huge shout out to our crew who puts the show together. Sam Wolf joining the crew. Uh, editor and producer Samantha Velez and Raymond Liu are the associate producers. Uh, Yuchenawa Ogu is our technical director. Billy Menino is on audio. Hair and makeup said they thought working at Morning Brew would be filled with people slaving away, but they were pleasantly surprised <laughs> by the labor practices and that every product is handled with care. I can confirm they were not given talking points. Uh, Devin Emery is our chief content officer, and our show is a production of Morning Brew. Great show today, Neil. Let's run it back tomorrow. Tomorrow.